This is part two of muscle oxygen training. In part one, we started to go down the rabbit hole that is muscle oxygenation with a smidge of muscle activation thanks to a new product on the market that measures both, Graspor. We got the commercial manager of Graspor, Jesper, onto the show to walk us through the product and the technology used. If you skipped that last episode, go back and listen so you can get up to speed. And that way, you'll have an idea of the technology behind muscle oxygenation as a measurement. On this episode, we're going to look at what and how to use muscle oxygenation for cycling training. Yo-ho, and welcome back to Ride Better, Faster, a show about cycling training and racing. I'm Damien Roos. Muscle oxygen training is simply a method of training which uses muscle oxygenation to guide the intensity and duration of training. It might help you find your optimum training zones, find which physiological systems are limiting performance and which are compensating, find how fast you recover after load, find your recovery state from previous workouts, and more. I understand that these are some big, and to be quite honest, sometimes unsupported claims, so my goal here is to present the information that my research uncovered as it currently stands. The way I see it, the real value of knowing your muscle oxygenation is seeing how your body responds to loads and changes under load. This real-time feedback from muscle oxygenation sensors can be used to help guide training intensity, duration, and recovery. Monitoring muscle oxygenation, SMO2, during training is useful because the harder the muscles work, the greater the demand for oxygen increases. This results in a faster heart rate, and increased breathing to supply more oxygen to the working muscles. By measuring SMO2, you can see the oxygen utilization rate in real time. But what does this really mean? Well, real-time SMO2 is showing you if you are pushing beyond the oxygen demands of the target muscle. Because if this happens, the muscle may no longer be using the aerobic energy pathway, but the anaerobic pathway. So eventually, the muscle will reach fatigue and fail. It's important to note, as Jesper stated in the last episode, that whilst this training tool appears to have many practical uses, coaches and athletes should still use power to gauge training progression. We'll get into how to use both of these together, but first, a quick explainer on three important primary metrics and one secondary metric. Understanding these is critical to understanding how to use SMO2 for training. The primary measurements are hemoglobin, myoglobin, and oxygen saturation in the capillaries of the muscle. And the secondary measurement is total hemoglobin. We actually touched on oxygen saturation in the capillaries of the muscle in the last episode, but didn't really get into hemoglobin and myoglobin, so let's quickly do that. Hemoglobin is a molecule in red blood cells that transports most of the oxygen in blood. Hemoglobin binds oxygen when it passes through the lungs and then releases the oxygen when it passes through the capillaries of the tissue that needs it. Myoglobin is a molecule in muscle cells that also is capable of binding and releasing oxygen and acting as a store of oxygen in the muscle. Then there's the secondary measurement that's called total hemoglobin. This is the sum of the following. Blood hemoglobin concentration, relative contribution of myoglobin, volume of blood in the muscle, and fat tissue layer thickness. These contribute to the absolute value of the total hemoglobin measurement. 
It also gives you a sense of how important it is for a signal from a sensor to be able to penetrate deep enough to collect this information. Jesper mentioned that Graspor's signal can penetrate 19 millimeters, and this is more than the competition and opens up the technology to more people because the sensor is not as limited by body fat. Another thing with total hemoglobin is that it's not as useful because of the possible variances in these four factors. It can be used in the case of Graspor and the way you position the sensor on the same spot every time you use it. This reduces the variation as best as possible, but the only way you would use the total hemoglobin measurement is to look at changes when you start a ride. So when you're starting a ride, your heart rate is increasing and the blood vessels in the working muscles tend to dilate. And this can cause the amount of blood in the muscle to increase, which shows up as an increase in total hemoglobin. But really, just ignore it if you're starting out. And with that out of the way, let's get down to business. In order to establish muscle oxygenation levels or zones and a muscle oxygenation threshold, the first step is to test. But you will be glad to hear it's not a steady state all-out test like a 20-minute FTP test. And it also doesn't need to be done as frequently. If the oxygen zone is not changing that much, then you have to lose a lot of uh, kilos and uh, your fat percent has to, to fall a lot or your capillary system has to increase a lot. Um, and that would normally take around four to five months to change. Mm -hmm. So with our product, actually to test yourself every four or five months. So yeah, your muscle oxygen will always be stabilized. And if, for example, me, if I'm keeping it at 50% from my, my threshold, I will just over time see, okay, now I, for a period, used to do 300 normally around this 50% uh, um, of muscle oxygen. And then a month or two later, maybe I'm in 320 or 330 or something. So, so yeah, you, you don't need to test that much. This is music to my ears from a coach and an athlete perspective. How about you? Well, let's learn about the test before jumping to any conclusions. The test is very easy. I'm, I'm normally used to do 25 minutes of warm-up. I do two times three-minute progressive, and then I do two spin-ups with uh, about 500, 600 watts and then 120 in the, in the cadence. And then I, I'm, I'm probably warmed up. And then I, I start my, my test protocol around 140, and every three minutes I, I increase with 40 watts. So actually it's taking about 45 minutes, and it's only, if you, you know, if this gives any sense to you, it's only 45 TSS in training peaks. Mm -hmm. So it's a very easy test to do actually also. So if you want to test yourself some more than you used to, to, to follow your progression in this standardized way, it's also a, a thing you can do very easily in a, in a week with, for example, racing in the weekend. You can easily do it in, a, in, the, in the Tuesday or something because it's, it's not much harder than going for a one and a half hour of just a spinning. That's, it gives the same stress. So the test itself is a ramp test or a step test. And so after a 25-minute warm-up with a few efforts, you increase effort for each step. One example is increasing resistance by 30 watts every four minutes, continuing the test until you no longer see muscle oxygenation stabilizing during a step or until exhaustion. This will give you the data to walk through the setting of your muscle oxygenation zones. But a word of warning, 
Setting zones is not so simple and is more hands-on than other methods of testing. A quick rundown of what I mean by this is, after completing the test, you need to identify some important inflections, like the step where your muscle oxygen level drops and doesn't stabilize during the next step. If you want to have similar zones as Coggins power levels, this is the six zone system that includes zone one, active recovery, zone two, endurance, zone three, tempo, zone four, anaerobic threshold, zone five, VO2 max, and zone six, neuromuscular. And you want to use these muscle oxygenation levels alongside power. You first need to identify your muscle oxygenation levels, then work out the corresponding power for each zone including what your threshold is. Then you'll have a guide when you're outriding to check decoupling and to watch the power numbers over time to quantify progression. It's worthwhile here to go through how to find these muscle oxygenation zones first. To find zone one, you locate the first drop below baseline in your muscle oxygen. When you begin the test, it's normal to see a drop and then a slight rise in your muscle oxygen before it settles on a steady level. And depending on your fitness and the intensity at which you started the test, zone one could stretch over one or two steps. And once you increase the intensity and experience a drop in your muscle oxygen, you go from zone one to zone two. And this drop marks the beginning of zone two. And following this drop, your muscle oxygen should stabilize during the next four minutes. Next is zone three. When you reach the next increase in load, and the next step begins, you will experience a drop in your muscle oxygen again. And this drop signifies your transition from zone two to zone three. And the drop will typically be larger than from zone one to two, but will stabilize during that step. Then the next time you increase the intensity and see a drop, it will indicate that you've reached your muscle oxygen threshold. It's easy to determine zone four, as during this step in the test, your muscle oxygen won't reach a stable level and will continue to drop. If you continue to test after this step, you will enter zone five, and this zone is identified by your muscle oxygen stabilizing at a low level or even beginning to rise slightly. that short explanation on finding your muscle oxygenation zones, I hope you're getting a feel for how to use the measure in training. Real-time changes in SMO2 are telling you more than decoupling of your heart rate. At least it'll tell you what's going on in your muscles in real time, so a much faster rate than heart rate would. But let's dig in here and get to the different ways to use SMO2, starting with a personalized warm-up people is just taking the bikes and they're going slowly out from the city and when 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 they're just out from the city they they start to do the efforts and what we can see is <laughs> the the blood flow is is not in a certain point where you are probably warmed up to to start these hard efforts we want with the muscle oxygen to show when you're for example doing a protocol of warm-up your muscle oxygen is increasing through this warm-up and when the muscle oxygen is a point where you, where it's not increasing anymore, then you're probably warmed up. And um, after you're doing this warm up and you, you succeeded with doing a good warm up for you, um, you can do your efforts. Warming up properly can now be quantified using real time feedback, and this is one of the best reasons to get a sensor. 
warming up muscles, of course, involves dilating the blood vessels to get oxygenated blood flowing into the muscles. Using a muscle oxygen monitor shows you exactly that, and it gives you clear metrics around it. What this looks like in practice is a low muscle oxygen starting point. Let's say the SMO2 is around 65 to 70%. And as the muscles warm up, these numbers slowly climb. After a few hard, short efforts during the warm-up, the numbers will climb even higher. In this case, they might get up to 85% muscle oxygenation. And it's getting this high number, which is exactly the goal of warming up. It is a very individual number, and you don't need to establish perfect scores, just oxygen values that are near your high values. Now we get to the work of a session once you're warmed up. And in any structured training session, there's going to be intervals. And here's where Jesper talks about SMO2 as a way to gauge recovery between intervals, even short ones. Then you also have the opportunity to control your time and your rest between intervals because a normal trainer tells athletes you have to do a six times six minute threshold interval today with amount of, of watts and you have to have for example a four minutes rest between what what we found out when we are working with these astronauts and also the, the athletes was it's very specific from person to person how long should this um Rest between intervals B. So, for example, when I'm doing 40 20 uh, intervals, where it's a very known interval of 30 30, I could see that in the first set of intervals, with for example 10 times 30 30, 30 seconds of rest is way too much for me. I need, like, for example, eight seconds in the first times. Then I, when I get to the, to the sixth or the seventh, maybe I'm about 30 seconds. And then I'm in the ninth or thin. Uh, times I'm, for example, about 40 seconds. And that's secure. You always um, stress the the body and the muscles just like you. It's it's perfect uh, for you uh, as an athlete. So, it just, so just to cut you off, so it's actually dynamic enough to do it within 40, 20s. So without doing a complete set and then resting between the next one, you can actually pick up the points after you've done the 20-second sprint, for example. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Okay. And, and also you have the opportunity, for example, when I'm doing like three sets normally, and my trainer says to me, you, yes, but you have to do three sets of uh, 10 times 30-30 today. Then when I'm going to the, to the second set, yeah, it's maybe I start at 20 seconds instead of the eight seconds, and then I end at one minute of rest. And I can also see if I start before this uh, one minute, then um, my muscle oxygen is going way lower in the 30 seconds of, of hard effort than normal if I'm, I'm, I'm keeping the watch stabilized. Or otherwise, I have my muscle oxygen stabilized. My watch is, is way too lower than, than it was in the first set of intervals. So then I have the opportunity to see, okay, phew, uh, this is it's, it's way too hard for me. And I maybe I, I have to stop in this second set of intervals, or maybe in the third set way before. So you have the opportunity to, to change your training and adapt to what your body is, um, is, is up to for this specific day. Um, so that's also an option to control your rest between your intervals um, and to secure you, you during the amount of training uh, your body can, can adapt to in the, in the specific day. To sum up what Jesper just said, comparing muscle oxygen responses between short intervals 
is when you intentionally are going into the red anaerobic zone, so your muscle oxygen is tanking on each interval. Between intervals, muscle oxygen recovers. But if you see that the lowest values on each interval really starts to nosedive after a number of sets, it's probably time to call it a day. So for these short efforts, it can change your prescription in real time. But how does it work with longer intervals? Say you want to do threshold intervals. If you're trying to do FTP intervals at the same power each session or within sessions, you might not be maximizing your adaptations because your body's abilities fluctuate day to day based on stress, sleep, recovery, nutrition, etc. So relying on numbers entirely, such as a specific number from your power meter, will not help this. And this is where muscle oxygenation can really give you a better insight into how close you are to going over your threshold into the danger zone. Because if you step over your threshold, it's called a threshold for a reason, significant changes occur, such as a decrease in the body's pH, increases in core temperature, and increases in CO2 concentration occur at higher intensities. And these changes affect the body's ability to produce ATP through aerobic respiration, Monitoring changes in SMO2 will show you this and can help you optimize and improve your interval workouts. When muscle fatigue occurs in a threshold workout, SMO2 will decrease. This drop in SMO2 shows the muscle oxygen demand was greater than what was supplied, indicating an unsustainable effort, which also results in lactate formation. And this results in your inability to complete an interval. So by knowing the point at which your SMO2 drops low enough to cause fatigue, you can guide pacing at these training intensities. So you can gauge when muscles are fatiguing at the end of a workout, and you do this by watching what happens during an interval. So for example, if you see muscle oxygen staying at a nice plateau, you are at or below threshold. So if you hit your first interval and your muscle oxygen is fading throughout the interval and you're feeling pretty weak, it's probably too much of a load. Back it off and try again. On the other hand, if muscle oxygen is flatlining during your interval and you're feeling strong, add a few watts on the next interval. And this isn't just for a single interval. While your muscle oxygen will likely decrease a tiny amount between sets, if you see it start to really fall between sets, you know that you're at your limit. It's time to pack it up and stop these interval sets. And this was also something Jesper mentioned when talking about sweet spot intervals. A lot of athletes have a trainer that, that tell them you have to do, for example, a four-hour ride, and every hour you have to do 20 minutes of threshold or just sweet spot intervals, something uh, a little uh, more easy. And a good trainer will, will see at the power to heart rate how is the, the heart rate drafting from your, your watts? So that's the decoupling. But the problem with the heart rate again and the watts there is that your heart rate is changing on the, on the way of the training. So your minimum and maximum is changing. So that's the ARR. And our, um, our measurement from the muscle oxygen is, is stabilized and is not changing. So you can always, always count on then if you're if you're doing like, let's say you should do four times 2020, so again, one per hour, and you are, you, you should do it about 55% of muscle oxygen, then it could be like in the first interval, you should do 280 if it was me. And the next, I'm just doing 260, 240, and maybe in the last, I'm down to 
200 because I'm I'm used to do one hour in the home trainers. So I'm not that um, I'm not that used to do a long ride, so I'm I'm, I'm decoping very easily. And if I, for example, was doing that um, in a normal way, while just keeping it stabilized about 280 in the end, I would do it <laughs> for a max effort to 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 keep the the watts stabilized about 280. And then I'm not training the, the thing my 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 coach yeah was planning me to do. And and the problem there is it's very it's very too difficult for trainer to see this uh, with just the heart rate. The third way to use SMO2 in training is gauging your recovery, or more like a readiness measure. Being recovered enough to get the work done at the level it's needed is a delicate balance of objective and subjective measures. But muscle oxygenation adds to that. It seems to offer a very tangible way to know if you're ready to go or you're just pushing shit uphill. Here's Jesper explaining an example in his training. Right now I'm in a very bad shape. So <laughs> a less amount of training is uh, affect me very hard. So normally when I'm going to the bike, I can see I'm always about 60% of muscle oxygen. But when I'm going into my bike uh, under 55, I know whenever, if what I'm doing, I, I won't have any good uh, effect out of it. So I, before I even start to do some efforts, uh, it's, it's very, very easy for me to to take a decision about just stay at home or, or or go very easy that day. That could be very hard to take that decision with a heart rate because you know maybe you just had a day where you 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 was drinking too much coffee and it's it's way too high or in the morning it's it's slow. But is that because you are stressed or you don't know? But but the muscle oxygen is always stabilized, um, so, so it's much more easy to take that decision. And making decisions is really what Graspor is trying to do with their education around muscle oxygenation. We not want to tell people how to train, we just want to give them this opportunity to have these data to take the, the right decisions about the training. So, so, you know, actually training is not an area we are going into and at some point we need, but we're never say to any people how to train, we just want them to understand these data to help them make a more right decision about the training. And also right now, you, we are collecting a lot of data from people. And um, in the, over time, we want to, to give them from these data, from the specific p- uh, person, um, something they could uh, take a better decision about. Because right now, we, we have all these data kind of raw data into our graph and you need to take this decision yourself. But over time, we, we want to have that much data that we can tell you exactly today is too hard for you to train. You need to take it a more easy. But also over time, we want to say to people, right now you're decoupling at this point and now you're decoupling at this time, this point. So also show them a progress straight from the body. Um, and uh, this is a process right now. They they need themselves to to see and understand. So over time, we we want, want this much more uh, automatically than it is right now. So that's the thing that is very important to us. That is to give this kind of a complex data in a very easy and commercial way in a live setting on the screen. Thanks to recent developments in technology and some very intelligent individuals within sports, science and cycling, muscle oxygen training has evolved cycling training. 
and potentially for the better. There's always the risk new technology distracts coaches and athletes from focusing on the main aim of training. But I think muscle oxygenation, if it can be backed up by solid evidence, can reframe the way we prescribe and work at intensities in training to truly personalize training. It's technology for training of the best kind. If you want to dig in a little more, I've got a mini course going into Semi-Pro Plus on muscle oxygenation training, including more details on something I'm really excited about. It's called limiter profiling. And other details on the exact ways that you can use it in your coaching or training. But that's it for this episode. Ride Better Faster is written, hosted, and scored by me, Damien Roos. You can check out our membership program, Semi-Pro Plus, where you stay up to date with the latest cycling science research with our monthly Cycling Science Digest and ad-free and exclusive podcasts. Head over to semiprocycling.com forward slash plus. That's semiprocycling.com forward slash P-L-U-S. Until next time, ride well. 